I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We are live here on Friday morning, talking all NFC, reviewing all of the good and not-so-good moves from free agency. Patty's Day. Oh, that's right. Happy Patty's Day. Happy's. That's with a D, not a Saint, T. Is it St. Patty's Day? Do you say St. Patty's Day or just Patty's? Yeah, just, I mean, you tend to just say Patty's. but With a D. Pad. Yeah. yeah. Patty's. You know why? Patrick. There I say this go. every year. See? We've, like, we just insert the intro from the last few St. Paddy's Days where we talked about this. The Irish word, or the Irish spelling for Patrick is Padraig. Padraig. D. Like Harrington. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly like Harrington. Nailed it. Um, so, yeah, we're absolutely live. We did not record this on Thursday, so we're talking as if it's real time here on Friday talking about uh, St. Paddy's Day. I just don't change clothes from one day to the another. Yeah, same. Especially if it's all, you know, all green. You can wear green here mm-hmm. on your Irish day. So yesterday we talked about the AFC. We went through that. So if you're an AFC, well, I mean, it doesn't matter. Everybody should be listening to it. But if you're an AFC fan in particular, we talked about your team. Today we're going to go through. Like uh, Mike, Mike Ryan Ruiz. He's an AFC guy. And if, if, maybe you're just an AFC fan. That's yeah. What I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're an AFC. NFC fan, if you're just a fan of the NFC, just root for the conference mm-hmm. like uh, Emmett Smith does, right. then you can follow along here as we go team by team our uh, moves that we liked, moves that we didn't like for each team. Sound good? Yeah. Speaking of Emmett Smith, we're going to start in the NFC East yeah. with the Dallas Cowboys. What do we like about what the Dallas Cowboys have done here, Sam? Besides Stephon <laughs> Gilmore. I like trading for Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, that's good. I think the Cowboys have done some some good subtle moves. Too harsh to say getting rid of Zeke Elliott? No. Because you could also say that's what I don't like is the fact that you had to wait till 2023 to get rid of Zeke Elliott. No, you can't. Like, we can't. We can't. I tried that yesterday. Right. I tried that. You can't give them a bad move of something they did years ago. Getting rid of him is a good move. Getting rid of him at basically the first possible opportunity is a good move. It is. So is that what you like the most? Probably. Just because that's been a millstone around their neck basically since he signed that contract. Yeah, release release the millstone and now bask, bask in the glory of cap space that isn't tied up in an underperforming running back that's being outperformed by the guy behind him on the depth chart. I think you pair that with Tony Pollard getting the franchise tag, a little over $10 million per year. Pretty solid. Pollard has continued to show with more opportunities. He can still produce. Pass game, run game, doesn't really matter. You, uh, then, you've, mean, my favorite move is trading for Stephon. You've Gilmore. apparently muted yourself, dumbass. <laughs> so listen, the mute button that we've just added back here to the show used to be you got to hold it down. You hold it down to mute and you let go. And no. It now no, 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 no. I can, I can. No, no. It stays. This one is it always stays depressed. Always it stays been. Depressed. It stays depressed. I don't remember. We haven't had this for a while. We have had a different mute button 
we're where bringing I think it you back. have to hold it back. This particular one, though, has always been press once to mute, press once to unmute. <sighs> Don't worry. We can just restart the show and delete my blunder. Uh, I think I was saying something about Tony Pollard's good. <laughs> that was a good move. Good job, Cowboys. This 100% has to make the show. No, just cut it out. We can trim it. How live to take? At what point was he muted? How long has he been silent? I was playing around with the button, playing around with, and the I mute thought button. I unmuted, and then uh, apparently I was stay. It was what I said was I was responding to Tony Pollard. You I have said, four kids, right? Yeah. This feels like the kind of con- like, was it a good idea to be playing around with the button that will stop the sound coming from your voice? When you started that, I thought you were going to say you have four kids. Wouldn't you like a mute button for them? No, though I'm sure you would. Yes. I'm just saying, but it seems like the kind of conversation you have with kids. Yeah, you know? what do you think would have happened? Right, like, oh, I was just playing with the mute button. Does true. that seem like a good idea uh, to you? Uh, yeah, see, it works. What are we? It's good podcasting. <sighs> Cowboys have made some good moves. You mentioned Zeke. Yeah. And now Tony Pollard, I believe I'm You mentioned still something else, but nobody I heard. said Stephon Gilmore as okay. well. While I was muted, I liked the Stephon Gilmore trade because it's right in line with things I like, which is get good players who are a little bit older who could still be good players. Right. Okay. Yeah, Gilmore played well. grade last year. He's good. Gilmore had – Gilmore's really played well. I mean, the entirety – like, they traded him away from the Patriots, and everyone sort of has that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, that's him done. Patriots always get out at the right time. There's no way he's got anything left. But when he got healthy in Carolina, he played the back end of that season, played pretty well. Um, And then last year for Indianapolis, he also played well. So we haven't really seen Stephon Gilmore not play well yet as a corner. Okay, he's getting older, obviously. I mean, he doesn't look like the player he once was, where he was probably the best corner in the league for a couple of years. But he's a good player. And Dallas... I think is absolutely worth taking a shot at that guy to lock up the other starting spot for and let the young guys that they do have, you know, emerge as number three, not number two. Yeah, last year, I unmuted again so I could talk. Good call. Last year, you know, hoping for the development of the Kelvin Josephs and Nashawn Wrights of the world. Just, you know, a little risky. A little risky there. Deron Bland showed that he could play pretty well in the slot. You have him and Jordan Lewis. Now it's a nice little... Group of corners. Did you also, by the way, like <laughs> run away from the table to sneeze rather than press the mute button? Or did you do that no, did in both. addition? I okay. did both. Just checking. I muted. No, it was, it was a powerful sneeze. It probably showed up through your mic a little bit. But it was nice that I could mute, mute my mic here today mm. while I sneezed. Mm-hmm. Cowboys fans are getting all the all the fun discussion, all the tangents here today. So I like, I like those moves for the Cowboys. Uh, anything you don't like? Uh, about the Cowboys. No, I don't think they've made any bad moves yet. Bring back Duncan Wilson. They've done some good stuff. Leighton Vander Esch. I think that's a really Chiefs. good move, actually, the Leighton Vander Esch one. A guy who, you know, played amazingly early for them, then injuries and, and didn't look like the same guy, and then sort of rejuvenated career for them. And to get him two years, 11 million, that's great. All right, so let me just, uh, as I said on a bunch of shows yesterday, or, or our show yesterday for a bunch of teams, the only thing I might not like is we don't have the shiny objects yet. We don't have flashy fantasy football players who catch passes we don't have as many of those that is a major concern i don't care how many of these solid moves the cowboys make i think their their success is going to be at the mercy of their pass catchers and uh, dalton schultz is still out there unsigned not that he's great but he was a solid i mean so he was their number two option last year at tight end when this Dallas offense has looked the best is when Dalton Schultz is their number four option. Now you don't even have Dalton Schultz your number four. It's 
It's uh, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, hopefully, you know, back another year removed from the injury is a little bit better. But playmakers, man, tight end, receiver, playmakers, playmakers, playmakers. These re-signings and the Stephon Gilmore trade help take care of needs going into the draft. More work to do at receiver. Yeah, I think they're projecting growth from certain players. So Jake Ferguson, a tight end, flashed, looked really good last year in, in a very small role as a pass catcher, a bigger role sort of overall as a second tight end. I think they're anticipating he can step up and you know, fill the the gap left by Dalton Schultz. Um, and a wide receiver, I assume they're expecting um, Michael Gallup to be more like the player he was before he was injured than the player he was when he first came back. And I don't think that that one in particular is an unreasonable expectation to think that Gallup will be better next year, another year removed from that injury. Um, you've got, obviously, guys lower down, like Jalen Tolbert was a guy I liked last year in the draft, really didn't show anything as a rookie. It's probably a bit much to expect anything from him this year, but that's a potential bonus if he does. You know, I just think that they they can be looking at this team and not unreasonably expect that group to be better than it looked last year. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on, you, on all of these roster moves we're talking about, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. On to the New York Giants here in the NFC East. They re-signed Daniel Jones franchise tag Saquon Barkley the biggest move was probably acquiring Darren Waller with a, for a third round pick from the Las Vegas Raiders what do you like the best about the Giants so far um I really like acquiring uh Darren Waller from the Giants I think that's like I understand the risk attached to it the re, the the side that has the the Raiders shipping him off in the first place but for the Giants I think it's well worth the risk you know they the potential of what they've added, which was a guy who, let's remember, was sort of keeping pace with Travis Kelsey as one of the most dynamic tight ends in the NFL before injuries and obviously hasn't done it for as long. But like adding that guy to somebody like Daniel Jones, we talked before about how I think stylistically it might be a smart matchup as well. Instead of trying to force Daniel Jones to be a different style of player than he's been the last few years, actually lean into the thing that he is doing quite well and say, well, if he's going to relentlessly target the middle of the field seven yards down, let's put a really dynamic playmaker in that area and see what happens. Giants did pretty good. They schemed up their tight ends pretty well last year, but Waller is more than just a tight end. He's a, he's a mismatch creator that they certainly have not had. Um, the fact that they had a productive offense with the Isaiah Hodgins of the world on the outside and Darius Slayton shows that, hey, maybe once you do give them some of those legitimate playmakers, even better things are going to happen there. So... I love the move with Waller for the same reason that I went on my rant about how the Raiders need to keep Darren Waller. When you have Jimmy Garoppolo, you need to have all these pieces. Well, if you're going to invest in Daniel Jones, you got to have those weapons, those playmakers, those guys that are going to make life easier. So Darren Waller has a chance, even with the injury risk, to be that guy. I think a lot of what I've liked has been the franchise tags for running backs, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard. I'm in on all those. Steal one more year while they're you know, at the first half of their career, basically. Don't invest long-term. Seeing some smart moves there with the Giants. Franchise tag for Saquon Barkley, bringing in Matt Breida for just one year, $2.3 million. Smart way to, I think, handle the running back position. It's a no-brainer. you got to love getting rid of Kenny Galladay as well. 
I saw there was a highlight reel that was Kenny Galladay's touchdowns for the Giants, and it was just like a three-second reel of him catching touchdowns. Just a loop? I mean, if, if they spend 30 seconds talking about it, No, no, it wasn't. That. They didn't even loop it. It was just the three seconds of him catching the touchdown and then the end. Like, oh, it man. It was pretty cold. But still, funny. Yeah. Sterling Shepard on a flyer. I think some That's good, good stuff move. by yeah. the Giants. What do you not like? I don't like... I don't like the money, the money that they paid for Daniel Jones. I I sort of get the argument of doing it. I mean, you get a bit more flat, a bit more cap flexibility this year. You have the the sort of the intangible benefits of hey, we just committed to our guy. Like we've shown him the love. Like this is going to help everybody buy into Daniel Jones. Blah 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 blah. But effectively, when you boil it down, what you've done is pay $50 million for like $13 million of cap space this year. And that just doesn't feel worth it to me when you could have put a non-exclusive franchise tag on him and took, taken advantage of the one year of, you know, test running of Daniel Jones to see if he actually does get better with a better supporting cast and in year two with Brian Dable as his head coach. To me, it's just not worth the intangible benefits that you got. I like that you at least gave an alternative here, and that is sometimes lacking in, in analysis, not you in particular, but giving an alternative. It's not just don't give him the money, but the alternative would be tag him, let's see it for another year. This is an investment for Daniel Jones. It might end up only being a two-year investment. You know, there is, there, is an out, there is out potential there, which is – that was always one of my caveats. With all of the Daniel Joneses and Derek Carrs of the world, you want to be able to have that out and – We've talked about we've talked about this deal a little bit, but teams have regretted Jared Goff's second contract and Carson Wentz's second contract, yeah. and they wanted outs for Derek Carr. Daniel Jones is in that bucket of quarterback where there could be buyer's remorse or at least the want to get out and, within a couple of years. And to be clear, if they're right and he takes a giant leap forward, like if he becomes a much better player with better receivers to throw to, with a better offensive line and a year two of great coaching, this deal will look like a steal. Like it will look like great value, and they will have they will have got it right. They will have proven everybody else wrong. My point is about it's it's all playing the percentages. It's like which is more likely to happen from this point going forward, that or an alternative reality where he stays the same or does you know, and you end up regretting that kind of contract. To me, the most likely thing means the best option would have been to franchise tag him and eat a little bit more guaranteed money this year but not be on the hook if it doesn't go where you need it to go. Um, so I agree on the Daniel Jones thing as far as what I don't like. The only, only other thing that I would question, maybe Bobby Okereke making $10 million per year over four years. He's a good, solid linebacker coming off his best year. He's, he was mediocre a couple previous years. Incredible length, 34.5-inch arms. That's 99th percentile. Last year finally started living up to some of that uh, – some of the hype, the length and athleticism that he brings to the table. Mm -hmm. But it's just one year of production, basically. All right, let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. That didn't work. So I just did something that didn't work. Great. Philadelphia Eagles, what do you like? What do you not like? Um, well, obviously, they re-signed Boston Scott. That's a big one. Um, but they brought in I mean you, it can't be anything other than bringing in Rashad Penny for one year 1.35 million just because the potential of what that could be if he stays healthy which is a huge if in his career but if he stays healthy he's going to average like 7 yards a carry yeah 6.3 to the last couple of years it's going to be even better 
I mean, I think what I like overall is absolutely that. It's only one year, but bringing in Penny could get, uh, you know, he's a home run hitter in, a, in an offense that gives you home run hitting potential, right? Um, get him into the open field, he could take it to the house, probably better than a Miles Sanders, certainly. So the other part of this is they're getting the band back together. And those are risky propositions sometimes. You know, Fletcher Cox coming back on a friendly one-year deal, getting James Bradbury back. Uh, Gardner Johnson's close, I believe, not confirmed right now. Brandon Graham, one year, $6 million. And apparently around the league, people are com- complimenting Howie Roseman for uh, creative salary cap usage and uh, finding a way to, to make all of this happen. So I think the Eagles, who on paper had a lot of holes, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, we're starting to see them not run it back completely, but kind of close. Getting you know They released Darius Slay, but they're bringing him back. Apparently, bringing back James Bradbury. I'm not sure they actually released him either. I think that it wasn't that actually released. Yeah, so there was a reported release, but then the, they found a way to make it all happen. So that's what I like the most. It's Howie Roseman and the Eagles have found a way to keep this nucleus on defense, a big chunk of the nucleus on defense that they thought they were going to have to move on from. Yeah, I mean, if they if they successfully go into next year with James Bradbury and Darius Slay as their two starters again, that will have. That would be a massively unexpected and incredibly impressive achievement for them because it looked like at least one of those guys was going to get moved on. It seemed obvious that it would be James Bradbury based off, you know, coming into or his contract expiring the year that he just had. He's presumably looking to get paid. They end up re-signing him for three years, $38 million. Last season, the passer rating into Bradbury's coverage was 51.8, I think, which is the best in the NFL including the Super Bowl, by the way, including all the way up to the, the Super Bowl. Everyone remembers the holding penalty that kind of cost him the game, but he was a great player for them last season. So it seemed like he'd be the guy on the way out. They end up actually getting him done quite early, and then it seemed like Darius Slay would be the guy on the way out. No, actually, we're going to pivot. We're going to shift him. Um, we're going to cut his money, get rid of him instead. And then the later it goes, the more it looks like, actually, they're going to end up bringing both of them back and still arguably have the best cornerback tandem in the NFL. If you're using, say, PFF war metric, which again is you know difficult to understand sometimes what a percentage of a win looks like. But last year we had Darius Slay and James Brad- Bradbury accounting for 0.8 wins above replacement, which is a huge number for a cornerback tandem. Huge number. Yeah, you know Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard will uh, probably challenge that this year. Stephon Gilmore and Trayvon Diggs can probably challenge that, but Darius Slay and James Bradbury as a tandem, extremely valuable. We know this because they play football well, but also when you just put value using war, you start to see that's a top three or four number in the NFL and projects to be that same the same thing next year. And maybe the best thing about all that is the same thing we've been saying for a lot of teams, go into the draft and you can continue to pick the best players. The, this is going to be our first opportunity to get this in lockdown in perpetuity. Brandon Graham has been re-signed for one year, $6 million. Is Brandon Graham's 10-sack bet alive or not for the 2023 NFL season? Why are you putting me on the spot here? It's only March. Uh-huh. I would like to – when do we usually make this bet? Well, we've – and it has been an open thing, and then you decided randomly not to do it in the year we actually got there. Ironically. Yeah, because like other shrewd GMs, I I looked at his age of 34 years old. He's going to be 35 
in a couple of weeks here. Coming off an incredible bounce back season. The only only the second time <laughs> in his career that he'd had double digit sacks. Right. Both the and it was his thirty age thirty four season that I decided to opt out of the bet. Yeah, you did. You bailed on him. You abandoned Brandon Graham at his hour of need, and he came back. He was coming off playing only fifty snaps in two thousand twenty one. Yeah, looked like the end was near. It was time. So let's do it. It's back on. Okay. Brandon Ooh. Graham back on. I'd like more time to assess, you know, even nope. see if he gets through training camp as a 35-year-old and all that. So the official bet, as is always the case, if Brandon Graham achieves 10 sacks in a season, I owe you lunch. If Brandon Graham does not achieve 10 sacks in the season, you owe me lunch. Yeah. And this past season, we didn't have lunch. Correct. We didn't we, even have lunch together. There was no lunch. Uh, the whole joke, for those who, you know, who are new, Brandon Graham forever – was a massive pressure guy, 77 pressures, 83 pressures, but only six sacks or seven sacks. Couldn't finish. And I said, no way. That's not a thing. If you keep getting all those pressures, you'll get, you'll get the sacks. And every year, I bet, he'll get his 10 sacks. He'll get 10. He'll get 10. And he only did it in 2017. And right. then 2022, after I stopped renewing the bet. Yeah. So we're back. You, you don't tend to learn lessons when it comes to these things. Well, now we'll see what happens. Washington Commanders. Or is there any, oh, sorry. Is there anything you don't like about the Eagles? Uh, what don't I like? Not really. There's nothing there to hate. If Bro- I wouldn't love... Boston Scott? Yeah. like well, that's, that's Stealing great. carries from him. They, if, they, if they had lost Darius Slay, I don't know that I'd, I would have loved that. But since it doesn't look like that's going to happen, I, there's, there's not much you can argue about with their... Um, with their run. I mean, they lost Javon Hargrave. I think we knew that was going to happen anyway. I don't think we expected them to replace him in this reagency group. Like, they're going to look to the draft and, you know, backfilling from there, bringing back Fletcher Cox in a reasonably cheap deal. No, I'm good work. All right, let's go Washington Commanders to round out the NFC East. What do you like about what Washington has done besides re-signing David Mayo? Yeah. Bring back my guy, David Mayo. Obviously love that. Um, what else do I like about there? They haven't done a ton. They've been reasonably low level for everything except re-signing Deron Payne and giving him the monster contract, which is more on the other side of then. That's going to be on my don't like list. Yeah, Andrew Wiley, three years, twenty-four million. Also one that I don't love. Like, there's not. I mean, I guess so. Jacoby Brissett is the most interesting move that they've made, I believe, because that is the indi- that is an indication that they might actually be serious with this whole. Sam Howell is going to start thing, which sounded absurd. And it's like, I'll believe that when I see it. Well, okay, Jacoby Brissett, to get one, like, to be clear, was good last season. Jacoby Brissett played significantly better than the Browns' record or his win-loss record would suggest he did last season. He, I think, dramatically outperformed any reasonable expectations for what Brissett was going to do as the starting quarterback until they got... Deshaun Watson back from his suspension. Now, the numbers are not overwhelming. 12 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, a passer rating of 88.9, but he was consistently good. His adjusted completion rate was basically 75%. Um, He passed for over 7 yards per attempt. He played well. Uh, So, he he could and should win that job unless Sam Howell looks amazing. But, Jacoby Brissett is also nobody's plan A. So if that's the competition that's being added to Sam Howell, Sam Howell is plan A. 
So you think you think he's coming in as real competition, or he's coming in as the backup with Sam Howell he's, going in as the starter? He's coming in as real competition, but in the kind of if you can't clear this hurdle, you have no business being starting. You know, thing. It's like the they've they've set Sam Howell the sort of you know the attainable goal, right? I'm setting you a goal which you're going to have to hit, but you really should. And if you don't, you can't complain about, you know, the consequences from there on it. So it's like, here's the guy you have to beat. If you can't beat this guy, you really have no business being an NFL starter. So, you know, let's make it happen. So I think everyone there is going to be kind of motivated to make Sam Howell look like the winner of that competition. And if he can't, then he really isn't going to be starting. So signing, sorry, signing Jacoby Brissett means... We're not drafting another guy. We're not bringing in real, call it real competition. As in, like a Jimmy Garoppolo is saying, okay, Garoppolo's the starter. Derek Carr so, coming yeah. in, he's the starter. Brissett is coming in to be the back. Because they're not in position, you know, to draft a guy in the first round. You're not going to add another starter after the Jacoby Brissett deal. Like you're not. I mean, for start, who is there? Um, but you're not probably in the market for anybody else that could re- really start when you've added him. So that looks like the move, the veteran competition that Ron Rivera talked about on this podcast. And if that's the veteran competition, it does look like they want Sam Howell to start. So I agree with a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that that's what the plan is. I don't know if it's the best plan to start Sam Howell, but let's give it a shot. We'll see what I, Yeah. So I don't even know if I like that or not, but I want to see Sam Howell play this year. Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't know that I would do that if I was a head coach, but I love it. I want to see it happen. I mean, you know. I'm here for the Sam Howell data points. Again, on this podcast, Ron Rivera brought up the question. Like, you rewind a year from the draft. Where was he? Like, he was the number one quarterback. So that's the sort of – that appears to be the esteem in which they hold Sam Howell, even if they waited till the fifth round to draft him. But, like, if they think he's got that kind of talent, and in his preseason game – he showed a bit of that in his one start. He showed a bit of that. I'm just saying, I'm, I mean, I'm more intrigued with that experiment than I've been for like a lot of these quarterback rolls of the dice in recent years. Uh, only thing I'll add is that uh, Cody Barton coming in to play linebacker one year, $3.5 million. I don't think Barton's great. I think there were points in his career where he looked like he could be a good solid linebacker. And so I'm all about the linebacker deals that are three to $6 million where a guy can at least you know, there's a chance he could be average or above average versus average or above average at $10 million or $12 million a year, like we're seeing. What was the smirk for? What I, just, I, I, still, I still need that list of I'm all about and then the five things that you're all about for roster construction. Can we just get, can we get somebody to keep track, maybe a fan, go back all the things that I'm all about, all of the things that I would always do. <laughs> Speedy receivers. Make a list. Broken down players that you are You can start cheap. now. Speed receivers. Uh, buy low on injuries, sign Jason Verrett every year, sign John Ross every year. Um, These are the same thing. Creep back toward average on the offensive line. And then what's this one? Linebackers at $3 million a year. Linebackers at $3 million instead of $10 million, even if they're not good. <laughs> they're just $3 million, which is better than 10 um, One day I'm going to create this roster of your, your tenants. Here are the guys that you would sign. And then my roster is going to be 90. You're going to get my training camp roster, and I'll have no idea how to cut it down to 53. Right. No idea. Can't get rid of Draft any of these QB guys. Draft a QB every year. First round doesn't guys. matter. Oh, you want multiple quarterbacks. Yes, you're going to have like four or five quarterbacks in the room. Yeah, I'd have like Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. I'd sign both. 
Exactly. So you're going to have like a five-man quarterback roster. Yes. So you're only going to have to have – you're gonna, like I will literally carry four quarterbacks every year and probably seven or eight receivers. That's going to restrict other positions yeah, quite Yeah, I don't care severely. about like linebacker five and six. Don't care. Well, everybody is going to have to play special teams, you know? That's fine. Your star li- – like your star – free agent signing that guy's now on five special teams we're gonna kick it out of bounds well i'm sorry we're gonna kick it into the end zone oh, we're gonna punt it out of bounds <laughs> okay so yeah. so you don't need a return unit is what you're saying or a, a coverage unit. we're gonna fair catch it we're not gonna cover yeah we're or not gonna return cover. we're gonna punt it out of bounds we're gonna fair catch it so and therefore a, don't need a special so i need a punter and a returner i need somebody who can catch yeah fair catch okay it. all right so um save roster spots <laughs> and then that'll be when i have three of my speedy receivers whoever's hot that week is going to catch a 50-yard touchdown that'll offset the fact that we're getting no yards extra from special teams got it you you got that you actually follow my ridiculous logic yeah appreciate you appreciate you for that let's go uh detroit lions did we mm. cover what we didn't oh like? i know what i don't like i don't like deron Payne for that much money they paid yeah. for sacks right they paid they paid a guy look Agree or disagree? We talked about Larry Ogunjobi on yesterday's show. Maybe our grades don't agree with league perception. We've had Deron Payne as a uh, average to below average, actually a below average run defender over the last couple of years. As they've expanded his role from nose tackle to more uh, disruptive three technique type, so maybe they think he's better than that against the run. Maybe they think he is a ten sack defensive tackle because he had 11 sacks or whatever he had last year i don't even look at sack totals i look at the grades because the grades are far more indicative of what a guy is going to do and deron Payne is a low 70s pass rush grade guy that's what he is we had the same debate with leonard williams a couple years ago he had one year with two sacks one year with 10 pass rush grade was the same he never touched 10 again i don't believe you don't pay for sacks i think the commanders paid for sacks here and I think they paid their fourth best defensive lineman four years, $90 million. So that's where I don't love this move. Yeah, I mean, he's a classic example of how the sack total last year is not telling an accurate story relative to the year before. So he basically had the same season back-to-back. 47 pressures in 2021, 49 pressures in 2022, and he had a few more attempts in 2022. So what, 40-ish, 39 extra pass rushes to get those extra two pressures. But... Five sacks in 2021, and then 12, sacked the quarterback 12 times in 2022. So the pressure total is effectively the same. The pass rush grade is effectively the same. It was actually a a tick better in 2021, but his sack total more than doubled. That is probably variance. That is probably, I haven't run through all of his sacks, but that is likely to be, you know, a couple of cleanup plays here or there, or the something else happens, the kind of the luck of the play bounces in your direction, and you end up with a sack where last year you would have just got pressure by beating your guy. It is like the classic example of don't bank on that happening again because it probably won't. Now, if you're just paying for effectively 50 pressures in a season, fine. But if you're expecting this guy, uh, the light went on, we've now got a 10-sack-a-year type of guy, that's almost certainly not happening. Yeah, and I, there's other elements to it, right? He's 6'3", 320, moves pretty well. He moves around the defensive line. Like, I get a lot of the value here. And I would also say, if this was a team besides Washington making the move, I'd probably right. be as critical. Like, if Cleveland added him. If Cleveland added, right? If other teams made this move, I would not be as critical. I would say, yeah, it's a lot of money. But in Washington in particular, him making four more, more million per year than Jonathan Allen, who I think is, has clearly been a better player. 
maybe not as versatile, but a better player. And then you still have to pay Montez Sweat and Chase Young, who, again, I believe are better players, Chase Young's injuries aside. That's where I think it's going to be risky here for, uh, for Washington. Yeah. All right, now we can move on to the NFC North and the Detroit Lions. We mentioned them on yesterday's or two days ago on the show. Like a lot of what they've uh, done, what do you like the most about what the Lions have done? Um, I think I like the most the Emmanuel Mosley signing. I, if you pair that with the Cameron Sutton signing, I just like that approach really a, a lot. The you know this this rebuild project has been a really well executed process, which is not to say it's been perfect because. They've added corners, and the corners haven't worked out so far. So rather than just say, let's start that over, you know, let's go back to the well at that particular spot, they're trying to do it in a different way and saying, well, let's pay some guys, some veteran players who can at least raise the baseline of our coverage play so that we don't have to take the best corner on the draft at number six overall, right? Or, you know, shoehorn that kind of value because we have a need. Let's get two guys, and if we have to go into the season with two with Cameron Sutton and Emmanuel Mosley playing significant snaps for us, fine. We're okay with that. Those guys are solid players. Emmanuel Mosley, the passer rating into his coverage for his entire career is like 86, or maybe it was even 82, something in the 80s. Like now the average passer rating is like 98. So he does a good job at corner, and they're getting him for $6 million next year. Um, Cameron Sutton, three years, 33. Like These are reasonable amounts of money for guys that have proven to be starting quality NFL players, and they can still go and add somebody in the draft, but they no longer need to chase it as a desperation move for a rookie that might end up just repeating the Jeffrey Akuda cycle and not actually being good. I agree with you there, because something I would always do is buy low on Injured corners like Emmanuel Mosley. Guys coming off injuries. That's already on the list. We got that. It's on the list. So I like that. Those are good things. We mentioned how this, uh, you mentioned, you know, they don't have to force a cornerback, but they're still in the market for a cornerback in the first round, either at six or 18, but it's probably more palatable at 18 or via a trade down where, look, Mosley on one year is certainly not keeping them from drafting a corner. You always need that depth, but it's just good to fill some of those needs in free agency. So I love that. Um, I think it's also solid bringing in David Montgomery. Um, they create, you know, maybe he could break uh, the great Jamal Williams touchdown record mm. because uh, Jamal Williams is the best running back in Lions history. But Montgomery, similar type of player, short yardage, not going to create explosive plays, but we'll take what's there. And uh, three years, $18 million is, you know, a reasonable deal for a running back. Yeah, it's fine. If I was pick, if I was forced I'm to not pick saying it's one, my favorite, but right. If I was forced to pick a move I didn't like, I would. I think I would go with the David Montgomery one, just because he's limited enough that I just don't think you need to commit veteran money to that. Like I, you could draft a David Montgomery in this draft for a fraction of the money, and I'd be reasonably certain that you're getting yeah. getting the same kind of player. So, I I wouldn't hate like I wouldn't single it out to hate on for no reason but if we're forced to pick a move that you don't like that would be the closest i guess what i'm trying to highlight is the totality of filling their needs at reasonable prices and going into the draft uh, with fewer needs is all a good thing if there's a thing i don't like i'd say it's alex anzalone three years over six million per year i know they like him familiar with him and all that stuff grades don't love him and uh just another one of those discrepancies between our production numbers and what a team sees in their players, which is all fine, but mm -hmm. I have to say I don't love it. He's, I mean, he's the classic guy, though, where injuries have wrecked his career, essentially, but 
everyone always loves a lot of the intangible stuff, but also the theory of what he can be if he ever stays healthy. Like the, he's a guy that seems to perpetually kind of get brought back for the potential of, you know, if, if he can finally stay healthy and keep it together for a while, he's he's a better player and, than we've seen. I love that he's over 3,000 NFL snaps now. Well into his career, but over 3,000 snaps at one point. Like coming out of college in like a five-year career, he had about 900 snaps or something ridiculous. Yeah. He had a ton of injuries at Florida. But uh, go Gators. I, I realized I went out of order. I forgot the Bears. But uh, for the Lions, what do you not like? Is it David Montgomery? Yeah, like I said, if I was forced to pick one, that would be the move that I don't like. I said, And I said Anzalone. Let's go to the Bears. Out of order here. I apologize for the lack of uh, alphabetizing the NFC North. Shocking. But the Bears, what do we like about what the Bears have done? Uh, my favorite move is TJ Edwards for a steal. Three years, $19.5 million for Edwards, who, I mean, look, I, I love him as a story, generally. A guy that graded incredibly well in college, particularly in coverage, went undrafted because he's not big, he's not fast, he has marginal NFL tools, he's got stumpy little arms. Like, there's not a, love to lo- a lot to like from a you know, look at this guy in shorts type of uh, perspective, but he's just always played well. So graded well in college, then his first gig in the NFL is effectively right. You're the special teams guy. Go out there and do your thing in special teams. Graded really well in special teams. And then it's like, okay, now you can be kind of role player on defense. You can get a few hundred snaps or no, so preseason. Show that you belong in preseason. Always graded well in preseason. And then it's become the role player on defense. You're going to get a couple of hundred snaps. Show that you can do something. Did well there. Finally earned a starting job. Graded really well as a starter. Um, So he's just always performed well. The classic example of like better football player than athlete. And to add him to, to the team for that kind of price, I think is a great bargain signing. And now he gets to play next to Tremaine Edmonds, who is the literal opposite of everything that you just described. Right. Other than last year is like the antithesis of that player. The well, better I'm, athlete I'm thinking more just player. athletically first. But yeah, I mean, Tremaine Edmonds was an underachiever from a production standpoint, maybe put into more challenging roles than, uh, than TJ Edwards, but ran a 4-5, right? 86th percentile, 40-yard dash, 99th percentile arm length at linebacker, 34 and a half, whereas Edwards, as you mentioned, the... Stumpy little arms. Hmm. Um, incredible athlete that is Tremaine Edmonds. And we get the little – they're playing different positions, but they're both linebackers playing next to each other. A little A-B analysis for what the <laughs> uh, the unathletic guy does against the built-in-a-lab linebacker. But clearly the Bears needed to overhaul their linebacking core, and they did that. And it'll be season. interesting to see how they their deployment differs within the same defense. You know, how much do does Chicago recognize the differences in the capacity each guy has to take on – you know, more challenging roles or assignments or whatever. Like, are we going to see Edmonds doing all kinds of crazy stuff in that defense and uh, TJ Edwards playing very much more a meat and potatoes kind of job, you know? Yeah, it's that'll be uh, hashtag fun to watch, Bears defense. Now, I know what you don't like potentially is the not touching the defensive line yet, but I, I still like – I mean, I like the trade, the trade down from one if that counts. Sure. Um, adding DJ Moore. I mean, that's their best move is adding DJ yeah. Moore. Adding DJ Moore when you you just you fill a huge need with a potential number one wide receiver. I agree with you on the TJ Edwards deal, and my only I, so I like a lot of what they've done. I, I like, like the DJ Moore, the overall draft trade. I think I don't know that they got the best package necessarily, but I think they got a very very good one for number one overall. 
And I like TJ Edwards. I like adding Demarcus Walker as well. I think that's a good move. That's a guy that absolutely helps that defensive line, which is in bad need of being helped. 72.8 grade last year, three years, $21 million. When you look at some of the other, he's kind of an interior edge hybrid type of player. But when you look at some of the other defensive tackle numbers for guys that are just, I say this glowingly, mid-tier type of players, making 8 to $12 million a year, Maybe Walker ends up on the uh, the steel side of that from a financial standpoint, especially he's like the clear best player on the defensive line right now for mm-hmm. Chicago. So uh, what do you not like about the Bears? I mean, I don't like the Edmonds deal. Um, he, you know, they made a lot about position value and how you don't necessarily pay off-the-ball linebackers when they were trading away Roquan Smith. And they made a lot of sense when they were talking like that. Um, you know, we're not going to invest in this particular position. It's not where you start the, the rebuild, blah, blah, blah. They made a lot about that. And to then turn around and effectively give that contract to Tremaine Edmonds, albeit whilst getting the second round pick in trade. And I guess if you wanted to really argue it, you could say the combination of Edwards and Edmonds money-wise is probably about what Roquan Smith was getting. But to sort of say, to make a big deal out of, no, the reason we're not giving him this money is because he plays off the ball linebacker. That's not where you gain the edge in today's NFL. It's not where you invest, blah, 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 blah. And then effectively a few months later go, yeah, <laughs> only joking. Did, did they trade, did, did they say that though? Yes. Okay. They made quite a, Ryan Poles made quite a big deal out of the position value element. Because uh, I, I did not, not know that that was. Roquan Smith. To then turn around and do it. And I think he was right. Like, the stuff he was saying, I think, was correct. But to then turn around and add Tremaine Edmonds, who, like, independent of the fact that we are judging this guy, like, if, he, if they get the player from last year through the entirety of this four-year contract. That's worth it. Sure. I, that's a huge departure over what he's been for the rest of his NFL career. Now, it's always difficult to judge, um, did we get a guy who – took a few years to adjust to the NFL, uh, and finally the light went on, right? Or did the light go on because this is the year he's about to head into free agency and get a giant payday, and, you know, or was it just a variant thing? Like, coverage went from (laughs) his coverage grades in his NFL career, 55, 52, 44, 37. So not only do they all stink, but they're heading in the wrong direction. And then 88.1. Now, we know coverage is a weirdly variant, you know, all over the place kind of thing. So in addition to the paying for the payday thing, was that just random? Like this one year, he had a great year in coverage. And next year, it'll go back to being 50. Um, I just think there's so many reasons to be a little bit leery over Tremaine Edmonds going forward. And instead, they committed big money to him when they had. I mean, the defense needs a lot. I think if you do include the Roquan Smith move, and you do want to look at it as one big move. The fact that they got a second rounder and a fifth rounder for Roquan Smith, and then maybe even spent the same money on Tremaine Edmonds, who let's say is a, an equivalent type of player. An equivalent type of player in that they've both been living off of first round potential, their actual production has maybe not matched up to that. I think if you look at it through that lens, it makes it look better. Like we actually got a couple draft picks and got a comparable player at a, at a cheaper price but to your point a lot of the free the the a, the value in using free agency is paying a little extra for certainty is paying a little bit extra to know that you're getting say with orlando brown you get a pretty good consistent track record of what you're getting in a, a tackle pretty consistent track record of what you're going to get for defensive linemen 
you get less of that at linebacker. So you end up paying for more uncertainty than you would like. I think that's part of what you're getting at there is the fluctuation in performance with Tremaine Edwins. It's uncertainty for four years, $72 million. The high-end potential, though, is absolutely there. So I'll agree with you as far as what I don't like there with uh, the Bears and Tremaine Edmonds. Let's go to the Green Bay Packers. Do we get a cricket sound? Mm. Keyshawn Nixon's back. One year, $4 million. He's a corner who's really just a kick returner who's awesome. Yes. And they've re-signed Tyler Davis, a tight end. All-pro kick returner, right? I don't know. We definitely made PFF's all-pro team. I don't, I don't remember I if you made the official read. one. Most all-pro teams, they do the offense, they do the defense, and I stop reading. Huh. That's pretty disrespectful to the special teams. Players yeah, I, I disrespect special teams openly. Hmm. Openly disrespect. I, I just told you my team building, fair catch everything. Wow. Yes. Right. Sorry. Not to, so I, this I shouldn't is where, have disrespected. So the Packers haven't done a whole lot. Well, this is where we get into uh, dangerous waters with our pre-recording by a day. Because by now, Aaron Rodgers could well be a New York Jet. It's true. Which would be a huge move for them. As of Thursday. The Packers. 12.50 Eastern. Packers haven't done a whole lot. No. But let's, let's pretend that they traded. Well, let's do no, one no, segment no, no, no. where they traded mm-hmm. Rodgers. No, no, no. Here's what we do. So, the best move that they've made was deciding that they are going to move on from Aaron Rodgers. There we go. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. Whether it is trading him to the New York Jets, as he would like to happen, as the Jets would like to happen, or whether it's simply playing chicken to the point where Rodgers goes, right, I'm going to have to retire and leave. Deciding, making that decision, doing the, the thing again, the Brett Favre cycle, where they go, no, enough not having it, take all the time in the retreat you want, go to the jungle, go drink ayahuasca. I don't care anymore. We're out of this. We're, we've had enough. Time is done. We're not signing Randall Cobb again. We're out. We're moving on to Jordan Love next year. Do whatever you need to do. Making that decision is the best and the biggest move that Green Bay have made this offseason. Why? Why? What do you mean why? Why? Because the Rodgers thing, I mean, he had the worst season he's had for a long time last year. So if you're in Green Bay, you're, you're happy to move on and just, just get to life after Aaron, even though it's, uh, it might be a little scary. Yeah, look, you have this first-round quarterback sitting there rotting on the sideline waiting to figure out if he's going to be a thing in the NFL. You were making fun of Jordan Love a lot until he made three passes against the Eagles. Right, but now it's time to see. Like, he hadn't played well, and now he looked better. So now it's time to see if he can actually be the guy. The point being, there's only so long you can play this ridiculous game, and you get tired of it, and you got to move in a different direction. They did it already with Favre. Now they're doing it with Rodgers. It's the right move. It's time. Fair. And congratulations to the Packers if they did get this good package in the last <laughs> day from the Jets. Sounds like they might... Uh... Like they might take their time. Well, Mina uh, has been arguing that in this world of no leverage, the Packers are the team with the leverage. I think it's probably correct to say that they have more leverage than the Jets. A lot of people have said that. Andrew Brandt, who's you know on the pulse of the, the business side of things. A lot I still of think that, that neither of them have any leverage. Like, everybody wants this to happen. The Green Bay Packers, the only difference between the two is if it doesn't happen and it collapses – the Jets are absolutely boned. 
like they have no quarterback, they have no answer, they are screwed. And everybody probably gets fired because this was like all the eggs in this basket. The basket is now in a pile of egg pieces on the floor and he just made a mess. If it all collapses, the Packers are not screwed because in a, in a variety of different ways. Number one, they would have Aaron Rodgers still and as much as they don't want that anymore, like you, they get a pissed off Rodgers playing for them. That's usually not been a bad thing. Oh, he would retire. That's the other thing. So if he, the worst, the worst case in that point of view is he just quits and they go, all right, fine. We wanted rid of you anyway. Fine. We didn't get any collateral out of it, but that's not going to cost anybody their jobs if Jordan Love is good. So the not- consequences of this collapsing are way worse for the Jets than they are for the Packers. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I was wondering if you were going to stand by your guns from a couple years ago. When we Remember we were listing, what is the worst possible options for the Packers? And you thought that Aaron Rodgers retiring wasn't that bad. And I said, well, absolutely it is because get something for him. There's some level of value for Aaron Rodgers. You don't want him to retire. It's better no, to you trade. don't want that. But- you thought it was worse for Aaron Rodgers to go somewhere else and win than for him to just retire for the Packers. Yes. You still think that? No, that was then. Like, now you've already decided okay. you want rid of the guy. Yeah, so it is bad if he retires. But um, the, the Packers have leverage because of the way the contract is structured and spite. They've got spite on their side. If you want to forget about the football side of it, it's, it'd be bad if they didn't get at least a first-rounder and some sort of compensation so they could build their team around Jordan Love. I think if they but can... they have spite leverage on their side. They can spite. I just think from a standpoint of everybody needs this to happen, neither side really has leverage, and it's just a case of figuring out who blinks first. But I think it is a reasonable point that the consequences of it somehow not materializing are way worse for the Jets than the Packers. Therefore, they have the smallest bit of leverage. So in the world of the very movable object against the extremely resistible force, one of those is slightly more pathetic than the other. Therefore, they win. All right, that's all we have on the Packers. That's it. Yeah, they haven't done anything else. Minnesota Vikings, what do you like? Except, uh, do, you, do you dislike letting any of the players that they've let walk, walk? Uh, who's that again? I mean, most of the receiving core, right? Such as it was. Uh, no, I mean, I, Alan Lazard and... All of the players that are on Rogers' wish list essentially are free agents. No, they can, <laughs> they can go with Aaron. I'm fine with what the Packers are doing. They need to continue to invest at receiver, though, like everyone else. If they get pick 13, do they go Jackson Smith and Jigba to compliment Christian Watson? I mean, get pick 13 if you're the Packers. If you already made a trade by the time we're recording this, if you didn't get pick 13, I'm going to say I hate that. Packers don't like that you didn't get pick 13 overall from the Jets. I don't care if they don't get 13. I mean, obviously that's the – that's probably what they're looking for, and that's probably the ideal scenario. But if they get anything for him, I think it's fine. He wants he wants out. You want rid of him. Get what you can get. Mm, I don't know. Part of the part of being able to keep him and and hand and take all those cap hits that Green Bay's taken. Part of that was like you're going to get at least some draft capital on the back end of it. That was part of that deal that they were expecting, which again part of the holdup. All right, Minnesota Vikings. What do you like? What do you not like? Uh, Marcus Davenport coming in one year, $13 million. I like that. Yeah, I like that move. Obviously, they re-signed the best long snapper in the NFL, Andrew DiPaola. Two years, 
Nothing million? 4.025? All pro. All pro long snapper. What do our numbers say? That he's the best. Oh, good work, PFF. That might be connected. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at us. Yeah. Influencing things. The, Influencers. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, Marcus Davenport to the one-year prove-it deal. The guy's never played more than 550 snaps in a year. Never had more than 51 pressures in a year. He did, The Saints traded two first-round picks, essentially, to draft him. Assuming, I would imagine, that he can do more than that. He has the physical tools to do more than that. Like, he's still the prototype monster edge rusher. So the Vikings, I think, are bringing him in and saying, all right, we're going to give you a bigger role. We're going to give you the chance to be better than that. If you can... Next year, we're at the front of the queue to give you the giant contract that you want. And if you can't, it didn't cost us that much. So I like that deal. I like it a lot. I know we talked to Brad about this. And, you know, Brad had him on a one-year flyer as well. And I just, you know, without even consulting Brad, was just assuming somebody would pay him big money. Um, and, it, you know, again, it, it, I admit, I don't look at sack totals. Like when people say, oh, this guy only had two sacks. It, it was surprising to me that Davenport had one sack last year. Because I look at the grades. This is the opposite of the Deron Payne analysis. When a guy is pretty consistent from a grading standpoint and he has one sack one year and 10 the next year or whatever it is, the grades will stand true. And, you know, the sack totals will revert. So the the Vikings, I think, have done a good job here. And now, what's the benefit in one year? It's just one year. And maybe you get a comp pick the next year. Or maybe you just get to see him and you, you get to lock him up long term. Um, it's essentially like a franchise tag for a cheap franchise tag type of thing. Yeah. But from a different team, right? Mm-hmm. So I like it. I like it a lot for um, for the Vikings bringing in Davenport. I don't like any other move they made. Really? Well, it's not like I hate them all, but, you know, what do we do here? I know you're going to hate Garrett Bradbury, but in year four coming off of his best season, <laughs> 67.5 grade, you're talking about a starting center for three years, $15 million. This is what – we. You bring up a good point. So let me tell you. Let me just talk you off the ledge before you tell me you hate the Garrett Bradbury move. Mm-hmm. You make up a good point about Tremaine Edmonds, a linebacker who was below average and then peaked and finally lived up to his hype in year four or five. And you don't know if he can sustain that. Offensive line's different. Usually those guys will sustain it. Where they Bradbury goes from below average to average center, he'll at least be an average center going forward. It's, it's, it's far more likely that Bradbury, his career year last year, will carry forward than, say, Tremaine Edmonds will carry forward. And if you get average center play at $5 million per year, that's solid. I mean, I would argue that you're getting what you pay for here. Like, you have signed a guy on a pretty cheap deal because he's not a good player, and you're going to get a not a good player for not a large amount of money. That's fine, but I would probably look to go elsewhere with my money. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um... Josh Oliver for $21 million, three years is kind of wild for a guy that's been a blocking tight end for his career so far. Uh, I'm interested. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in how it plays out, right? Like, what are they seeing? Byron Murphy 
is definitely a position of need. Cornerback and a versatile guy, potentially. A little bit of inside-out flexibility, though I'm not that sure. You know, you hear a lot people being described as versatile because they've done a lot of different things, but not well. You know? It's like, is that actually versatile or is that just uh, having been deployed in a lot of different ways? To me, those are two slightly different things. If you're truly versatile, you can do a lot of different things well. If you've just done a lot of different things, that's not versatility. That's that's something different. So I'm not 100% convinced that Murphy is versatile as much as just has been deployed in different alignments. But I also, again, this is all with the caveat that we don't really know if they're going to run this Brian Flores, what we know of as the Brian Flores defense, which has been a man-heavy system in New England and Miami. If they're running that, I don't really see that Brian that Byron Murphy fits because he's not a man cover corner. He is a zone specialist and probably a slot zone specialist. If you look at his career, he almost has the same number of coverage snaps as an outside corner as he does in the slot. It's both in the 900s. Mm-hmm. He's a 20th percentile outside corner from a coverage grade standpoint in a 50th percentile slot right. corner. So is that versatility or is that just they've played him in both those spots? In a lot of those outside corner snaps were early in his career and they said now you're a slot and he right you know was much better there i was actually surprised his single coverage versus zone coverage splits are similar he's kind of middle of the pack in both but you're not he's not a guy that you're going out of your way to say go play go play one-on-one either outside or in the slot so So i don't think he's a good solid player and i think they have some some caveats in this uh in this contract based off of his injuries yeah i mean they needed to add bodies to the secondary they released cameron dantzler they you know uh Patrick Peterson has left. They don't have much back there, you know? So bodies needed to be added to this group. It's just a question of, is that a good fit for what they're doing? At the very minimum, I think you have to say, not sure. Yeah, so uh, on my don't like list, I, I would probably go with Josh Oliver at tight end just because it's three years, 21 million. He's certainly a tight end too behind TJ Hawkinson. And he's a he's a good run blocker, like you said. I thought he could be more of a receiver coming out when he had out of San Jose State. We'll see. It is uh I'm just always fascinated by what Quazy's doing up there in Minnesota because we just we just know he's gonna he's probably gonna take a different approach than others. So I'm just interested in seeing what they value and what he values and the moves that they make. So Madison for two years seven million is an interesting move as well if Dalvin Cook is not traded, which has been talked about basically through the entirety of this free agent process so far. But if they've deliberately kind of kept that duo intact, that's a curious um, move. Like, whatever about paying starting running backs veteran money, I mean, it kind of feels like like backups, you really should just be cycling through first contract rookies for pennies on the dollar. That's Alexander Madison. By the way, it's a lot easier to follow along if you're using our free agency tracker over at pff.com. That's what I use. We list all the moves. Uh, sort them by team you get to see everything all in one place makes it a lot easier so uh turn in your chapter book to uh the atlanta falcons everybody following along here turn in your book to the atlanta falcons um and the moves that they've made here sam a lot of moves yeah re-signing chris lindstrom was the first thing five years 105 million dollars in a market resetting deal for guards what do you like the most about what the falcons have done hmm i think my favorite move is bringing back Caleb McGarry on what is actually quite a cheap deal. So Caleb McGarry, 
has a career year last season. What is he, a second-round pick at tackle First, for them? he was the— Wasn't pick, he the second? Pick 31 or something. Oh, in a weird year where there was—but he was the second pick after Lindstrom, wasn't he? They Didn't traded they? back into the first to get him. Okay. That's what happened, yes. So they're— High draft pick, but a guy that hadn't really panned out you for them. You could say first rounder. I'm right. No, no, no. A high draft pick uh, whilst they yeah, hadn't really panned out. Um, Round one, selection 31. Until last year where he had a career year, 86.6 PFF grade. That's a jump of 20 points over the best season he'd had before that. Run blocking was off the charts, went up to 91.6. Pass blocking was better, still not great. 66.9 as a pass blocker, gave up six sacks. Um, that's fine, but not necessarily what you want to be paying giant money for. You, you are describing right tackle Garrett Bradbury. No. Show me Garrett Bradbury's 91 run blocking grade. Okay, maybe McGarry's peak in year four was a little bit better. A little bit better? A little bit. Significantly better. That's an absurd comparison you just made. It's a one-year breakout after being a negative yeah, yeah, yeah. war player but, for three. But the breakout. Neg- he was adding <laughs> negative wins. Above. He was below replacement level yes. player for three years. Garrett Bradbury went from you at center to a below average player. My pad level is excellent. No, it's not. At the pivot. Your pad level is atrocious at all times because you're nine foot tall. Garrett Bradbury went from a below replacement level player to a below average player in his breakout season. Like, that's his breakout. Uh, Caleb McGarry went from an average player, maybe below average, to good, who was a little bit above average as a pass blocker. But the point being, the one team that that fits the best for is Atlanta, who had the most run-heavy offense in the league last year, the only team in the league to call runs on more passes or more plays than they call pass plays chicago would be the only other one that made any kind of sense given the offense they're probably going to be running but atlanta's the fit right they let him hit the market they let him test it they let him go and see if he's going to get a monster payday from somebody nobody bit everybody understood okay this is not an amazing player we're looking at here this is a guy who's okay as a pass blocker and really good as a run blocker we're not doing that so they let him test the market. They let the price come down, and then they signed a guy who had a career, a great year for them last year, at a reasonable deal. Slightly better version of Gra- Garrett Bradbury. Do you hate? So you like McGarry? That's fine. Uh, what else do I? I? I think I like David Onyemata. Three years, twenty-four and a half million. Good, solid player. That's the market rate. Eight million, better than ten or twelve that some of the other guys are getting. Better than seventeen. That Draymond Jones got, even though uh, Anyamad is older. I think that was fine. The totality of what Atlanta is, has done is interesting because they had a lot of money to spend, and they've spent. Jesse Bates comes in at safety. He's the biggest splash move other than re-signing Chris Lindstrom. I just, I'm curious what this is going to feel like if you're a, a Falcons fan, right? Because you're looking at the team last year, and they were sneaky competitive, and they did some nice things, and they dropped off to pretty much what they should have been at the end of last year. And what you've done this offseason is bring back Lindstrom and bring back McGarry. And, you know, you bring in one interior defensive lineman like Onyemata, who's, you know, he's solid. The biggest splash play is a safety in Jesse Bates. You bring back Lorenzo Carter at edge. You trade for a John New Smith. It's just a whole bunch of smaller moves for a lot of money where I don't know if they're moving the needle a ton, but it is upping the overall competitive competitiveness 
yeah. of the roster, and it, that was needed this offseason. My criticism would be not any one particular move. It's more – it's back to position value. Like, they've spent a lot. This was a team that needed a lot of help. So they, they could have thrown a dartboard at a position list and hit a position that would have upgraded the team. They needed everything, essentially. So you can't really criticize any of the players they brought in because they're all going to upgrade what they had because what they had was so bad. But when you look at the money they spent – it's like you're committing this volume of money to a guard, a safety, a right tackle, an off-the-ball linebacker, a backup quarterback. Like, we're not ticking off the high-prize position values here, and those are still areas of need and still need work. So, you know, I think when you just sort of – I don't know. If you're, if you're starting from such a low ebb, it feels like the correct way of doing that would be if we're going to commit big-ticket dollar values – Let's try and mesh them up with the players that fit the most valuable positions. They've gone like almost the opposite way and instead targeted, you know, the lowest value positions. Yeah, I think, I think that's going to be my – the thing I don't like is there's a, there's a lot of money spent there to just kind of maintain and add a little bit. It's kind of like your criticism of the Broncos. I think they got better. It's just a value. It's just at the offensive line when there's yeah, it's, there's more to do. I, I've said more to do, which is understood coming out of here, but there's there's still more to do in Atlanta. I think Pretty it's a start. slightly different dynamic than Denver. Like my problem with Denver's spending was simply the value of the upgrade that you got or the cost that it was to to get that much incrementally better. For Atlanta, I think specifically, it's not so much the cost because I think they had that cost. They had that money to spend. It's the va- the position value of the players you brought in. So it's you have gotten better. It cost you a lot of money to get better. You had that money to spend. So that part I don't really care about. It's more you still have like the high value positions to get better at. And those are going to cost as well because those are the high value positions. And now you've kind of spent that money on guards and safeties you know it's it's just that doesn't feel like the most efficient way of doing this all right let's go to the carolina panthers anything you like bradley bozeman they cut pat elfline and re-signed bradley bozeman which was the correct order of those centers that they had to come in and you know play and revamp this offensive line bozeman was always a better center uh they've realized that so elfline's gone Bozeman's back, three years, $18 million. Now that is your $6 million for a capable, starting, good, marginally good center. That is the Bradbury deal for a player that's actually going to justify it. Hmm. Bozeman had a grade a tick below Bradbury last year, but that's fine. I get And points, before that? No, oh, he's better. Yeah. He was better before, before last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bozeman's a good, solid deal. At uh, six million a year, I like Von Bell coming in three years, twenty-two-five is a is reasonable for uh, you know box type of safety that you can move around. I like Von Bell there. You got some versatility now with Von Bell and Frankie Louvu and Jeremy Chin, all sorts of uh, not completely positional positionless defense, but you know some some versatile players there on the back end for the Panthers. I like that quite real a bit. versatility, real versatility. They're all good at multiple roles. Yes, They're able to handle these multiple roles. Um, on the don't like list, oh, what about so? Do you put the trade up in there at all as a good move? You could going to get number one. Yeah, I think locking up that. I mean, not even so much going to get number one. No longer being sitting there at nine and have not any real answer at quarterback and just be hoping 
that something lands in your lap. Like that, taking control of that dynamic, I think is, is a good move. It's costly as hell. And I really don't like that you had to give up DJ Moore to make it happen. But it's very difficult to criticize a team for aggressively going up to try and secure the most important thing that a team can have. And they've done that. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I would have that as my, my favorite move for them, but I think it's a good thing that they're no longer at the mercy of the draft and just hoping they get lucky. And because they've added, a, say, a Von Bell in the secondary and everything, there's not a whole lot of positions to fill on the defensive side of the ball. I remember a couple of years ago they spent all their draft picks on the defensive side. They still have a couple of those guys running around. So the next step is going to be the offensive line is okay. It's improved, but yeah. still just okay. Losing DJ Moore, you're going to need more playmakers there. They bring in Hayden Hurst, three years, a little over $7 million. It's all right. A year. Over $7 million per year. Sorry, yeah, $21.5, uh, $7.5. So it's all right. It's all right. You need more playmakers for whoever you decide to draft Yeah, at number one overall. I kind of like bringing in Andy Dalton as well. Two years, $11 million. I think that adds some contingency, flexibility, the, the, you know, the, the potential to sit a guy for a while if you think that needs to happen with your first-round pick, whoever you're taking. I just think you get more options with Andy Dalton there. Also, can't hurt to have a guy like that you know, in the QB room. And unlike previous players where I've criticized for that, like at least you can start Andy Dalton and it not be a problem. Yeah. I didn't love the Shy Tuttle deal. He's three years, 19.5 million. As I'm looking at it using PFF IQ, kind of the going rate for the value that Shy Tuttle brings to the table, which is, forgive me for using war numbers, 0.05 war, which is average, dead smack average for a defensive tackle. You're kind of paying six, six and a half million for that across the league. Guys like Harrison Phillips and Roy Robertson Harris, uh, Harris, I keep saying Harrison because Robertson Harrison. Roy Robertson Harris, Justin Jones, Daquan Jones, those, that's kind of what those guys make. So maybe I get it as far as Shy Tuttle goes. I just don't love all the defensive tackles. Draft a couple guys. Yeah. Um, I don't, four years, $25 million for Miles Sanders is a deal that I wouldn't have done, I think. I mean, Miles Sanders is the classic running back that you can get in the third round this year. Do that instead. Yeah. Now, admittedly, Carolina's lower on draft picks than they were a few weeks ago, but still. The one thing I'm wondering, though, not that I would – your point's absolutely taken on Miles Sanders. Are they going to be Anthony, you know, drafting Anthony Richardson and building their run game and needing multiple backs and the same way Miles Sanders was – a beneficiary, but also a bit of a catalyst, you know, for the Eagles run game. You know, he becomes that guy with a running quarterback, potentially. He was a third round pick, right? Miles Sanders? Sound yeah, I believe so. So you're basically multiplying his rookie contract by five to have him on the second contract. Like if you're again five X. Get the next Miles Sanders. Yes. Use my draft Just model, find third the round next pick, guy. grab your favorite running back, he's your guy. Yeah, I get you. I'm on board. All right, New Orleans Saints. Signed Derek Carr. They re-signed and uh, I believe extended Juwan Johnson at tight end and then found some way to move money around and bring back Michael Thomas on a one-year $10 million deal that has a whole bunch of incentives and, and everything built into that. So what are you liking about the Saints so far? Yeah, I think the, uh, the Michael Thomas move is my favorite. Um, that seemed just a foregone conclusion that Michael Thomas was going to get cut at some point and be a free agent um, the last time they messed with his contract. So... For them to actually end up retaining him this year, I think, is huge. And, yes, obviously the guy's been 
really injured the last couple of years. Three years, right? Three Buy years. low on the injuries, baby. Yeah, and this is one where I think it does make some sense because, look, he's dealt with three years, essentially, worth of injuries. But, A, the play before that was, like, as good as anybody in the NFL. So we're talking the starting point is true alpha, number one, elite, league-leading reception type of receiver. Number two, when he has been on the field, even dealing with the injuries, he's been very productive. He's gotten a ton of catches. He had three touchdowns in three games last season. He's been a good player, even when he's been hurt. So if you just get him on the field, it's going to be good for you. And now, whatever the kind of the disagreements or the, you know, there was clearly sort of antagonism somewhere along the way in terms of his relationship with the team and dealing with all these injuries and stuff, that's probably slightly different now that they have a new coach, a new quarterback. Like The whole dynamic has changed. So getting him back for $10 million with the ability for that to go to 15 if he plays well enough to justify it, feels like a great move. And if, if all of that stuff happens, when you pair him with what Chris Olave showed last year as an intermediate and vertical threat and Michael Thomas, yeah. remember there was a point where who, who would you comp Michael Thomas to from a production standpoint? He was like a Chris Carter yeah. type, right? Uber possession guy, uber possession guy that was just going to move the chains. I love that as a one-two punch. I loved it last year as a potential one-two punch. We just never got to see it, really. Yeah, rarely I mean, got to see it. That's the thing. They've upgraded the receiving core around Michael Thomas because of the times that Michael Thomas wasn't there. So if he comes back, that potentially increases his ability to play well because, you know, attention is now being drawn by Chris Olave or by Rashid Jaheed. Um, you want here's uh, something else that the Saints did that I would that I would always do. That you can't uh, always do. Let me do. see if I can pick it from the list. What would you do from this list? It's not a specific thing from the list, but oh. what they did a couple of years ago with a guy that's on the list. May have already mentioned. Oh, you would grab uh, ridiculous, oversized college wide receivers and make them tight ends. Absolutely. Nailed Absolutely. It. Yes, good work. Ding, 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 ding. Good for Juwan Johnson, former <laughs> college wide receiver turned tight end. I would take all of, give me all your power forwards. <laughs> give me all your. Uh, oversized rugby players uh -huh. from Australia. Give me all of those guys, and I'll turn them into football players. And if I don't, eh, we didn't do it. <laughs> but if I do... If you don't, you had the fired, you had guaranteed fired money anyway. You're good. Yes, I get the guaranteed yeah. money. And uh, But if you do, sometimes you stumble into Antonio Gates or Jawan Johnson. Mm -hmm. So, good for him. Absolutely. Now you get some weaponry for the Saints. I don't... I, I, I quite like the Derek Carr signing as well. Like, you know, we've been reasonably critical of Derek Carr in his, in his NFL career. But for the Saints specifically, they're the one team for whom I think Derek Carr as plan A made sense. Derek Carr as plan A for the Jets doesn't do anything. Well, I mean, it's all about where you live, right? You live in the NFC South. Yeah. Derek Carr. I mean, I, I had to do a radio hit today, and it was like, where does Derek Carr rank among NFC quarterbacks? It might be fourth. It's like three, <laughs> three or four. In the AFC, to rank fourth... You're ranking just behind Mahomes, Burrow, and Josh Allen. In the AFC, he could be four in the AFC East. And the AFC West. Right. And maybe the North, close to the North. We'll see. I mean, the West, depending on Ross. But yeah, look, the point being, you could be fourth in multiple divisions in the, in the AFC. You might be fourth in the NFC Conference. Yes. It's a different dynamic. So for them to come in, and, and a bad division, like Derek Carr immediately makes them favorites for the division and at that point like 
it's a different dynamic. You don't have to get through that gauntlet of AFC teams. You just got to win a couple of games, get lucky against one of the two good teams in the conference, and you're in a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean... And by the way, it's also fine. less than the Raiders are paying him. Like, they got a discount, effectively. Yeah, so it, I think that deal's fine. It, it depends on where you live. If, if you're... It might not feel as good a couple of years from now, but they've got outs. They'll be fine. Yeah. Derek Carr's good. He's a good player. He's a good quarterback. What don't you like? Uh, the Saints. My first, uh, they bring in, so the two defensive tackles that they bring in, Colin Saunders, three years up to $14.5 million, so we don't know exactly. And then Nathan Shepard, three years, $15 million. Stick with me being critical of interior defensive linemen making $5 million when Shepard, he was had a 68 grade last year, fine. A couple of years in the 50s before that. Like I feel like I can get that in the draft for cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I guess my overall sort of broad criticism would be Marcus Davenport's gone David Onyemata's gone Cameron Jordan's getting older and declining visibly your solution on the defensive line is Kalen Saunders and Nathan Shepard that's that's not enough I mean you've got Granderson on the edge you've got Peyton Turley you've got young guys that you've been hoping will do that job but they haven't yet Granderson is probably the closest to that but they either head into the draft with a glaring need at defensive tackle, which the Saints are perfectly prepared to do from, you know, history. They will go in knowing they need to nail one specific position in the first round and go after that. But, like, that is a big weakness right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they probably right now have a six-man defensive line rotation, which at this time of the year is pretty deep. Yeah. But it's just – it's not deep with – a ton of good players right they're just they're just okay so there's there's more impact needed probably on the on the defensive line there and that's in part because we don't know if Peyton Turner has actually hit as a former first rounder right they just lose Trey Hendrickson a couple years ago you lose Marcus Davenport they're not replenishing on that defensive line I think that's all fair Mm -hmm. and part of my Nathan Shepard criticism all right Tampa Bay Bucks I think what I like most was that they won the Super Bowl in 2020 Mm. and it all paid off and you can just uh, you can rewatch that and uh, enjoy the the good feels that you got as a if you're the Bucks for winning the Super Bowl. Okay, it's going to be tough to get to get back. Yeah, uh, my favorite move I think is re-signing Levante David for seven million dollars this year. He's still good, really good, in fact. Yeah, it's just I mean it's a one year seven million dollar deal. I think the Bucks are in rebuild mode, so I don't know what you what you get out of that. Yeah, they signed Baker player. Mayfield as a bridge quarterback. Would I always do that? Would I always sign Baker Mayfield as a bridge quarterback? Maybe. He'd be throwing to my oversized receiver tight end hybrids. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be throwing to my super fast receiver guys. What a weird receiving core you're going to have. Well, hopefully there's a wide receiver one in there too because I believe in that strongly. Yeah. Strongly. Well, I suppose if you're going to keep nine of them, you can have that, you know. Four, four like lightning speed guys, four former tight ends, and then one alpha. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Yeah, I mean. What do you like about the Bucks? I, I like, I think bringing back David is a good thing. He's, you know, a core member of that team. He's still playing really well. It's only $7 million. That's a positive move. Um, I like bringing back Jamel Dean. He's, he's an underrated corner. I Agreed. don't know if it's because he was, he was the guy. Did they, was it subsequent years or the same year where they drafted? It was Sean, Sean Murphy Bunting ahead of him, right? And then he was the yes. third rounder. It was Murphy Bunting, 
So one year it was Carlton Davis in the first, right? Second. Second. Yeah. Then it was Sean Murphy Bunting in the second and Dumel Dean in the third. So he's like the, he's the afterthought guy in that collection of young corners that they brought in in very quick succession. But he might be the best of the three. Or at the very minimum, he's the second best. But I think because he was the sort of third guy, the afterthought, with his weird linebacker-looking body, I think he gets underrated. Um, but his production's always been good. Like, passing it to his coverage is generally a bad idea. And keeping him around for four years, $52 million, I think that's good business. I mentioned earlier about uh, if you use in our war number, if you look at the Eagles and what they got, the .8 wins, how that's a really good number. Well, over the last three years, Carlton Davis and uh, Jamel Dean are close to that. They're Dean. close to that .8 on a three, in a three-year window. And now they're locked up together. They both played at Auburn together. They're locked up together for at least the next three years. And then Dean for the five um, at a decent rate here. Dean has never been outside of the top 15, I think, in PFF war for top his career. Like he's just always been a top 20 cornerback in the NFL from a production, from a impact towards winning point of view. So, yeah, I think I, I agree with that. I mean, for whatever you think, if, if you're talking winning for one year, Levante David is really good. I mean, a, he probably wants to retire as a buck and, right. you know, finish strong and all that stuff. So so go ahead and do that. It's also, I mean, that's cheap. $7 million for, you know, one of the better linebackers in the NFL still. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, him or Bobby Wagner, I was thinking some sort of team on the cusp, uh, the Bills who just, you know, replacing a Tremaine Edmonds with one year of Levante David or one year of Bobby Wagner would make a ton of sense. That could still happen with Wagner. Um, other side of it with the Bucks, what do we not like? I mean, we already talked about this a little bit um, last yesterday's show, right, from the other perspective. I don't like trading away Shaq Mason. I think he's still a good player. He wasn't a bad player last year. I understand he's not cheap, but, I mean, unless you're fully rebuilding this thing, which they haven't – it's not like they've torn it down the way Chicago did last it's year. mid-tier rebuild here. Yeah, it's like the sort of the halfway house thing. Um, I mean, I would keep a guy like him around. It's interesting with the, the halfway house thing of, you know, half rebuild, but there's still a lot of players. There's some high-priced, big-name players. That, you know, you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Ryan Jensen and Shaq Barrett and all that stuff, Vita Vea. The Eagles kind of did some of that, right? The Eagles looked like they might need to go to full rebuild, but they were half in, half out. And what got them back in was some shrewd drafting, stumbling into – not stumbling into, but hitting on Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And, and some other shrewd moves around there. The Bucks could do that, but then you still have to solve quarterback. And that's why it feels like it is a rebuild. I mean, it's a, it's a one-year bridge of Baker Mayfield, see what he has. And, like, do you want to be in the Caleb Williams sweepstake? Your sweepstakes, you're probably too good in a bad division to do that. So they're just, they're just in purgatory right now in Tampa Bay and that's probably just the criticism is it just doesn't feel good right I mean unless Kyle Trask is the truth you're not going to fix this roster in the way that it's currently constructed Um, but the way it's currently constructed is probably too good to keep to get you to one of those top two quarterbacks the two guys that are the main names next year they're in that weird tough spot so because they had to release Donovan Smith dependable Became a dependable starting left tackle. He was up and down last year. Shaq Mason was not as good as he'd been previously last year. They lose two starters, right, in yeah. a, on an offensive line that already needed some help. So that's where it, it doesn't feel great if you're the Bucks, And then the defensive line also just needs a, an injection of talented talent and youth, basically. Pass rushers, uh, 
big dudes, whatever it might be. Yeah, Donovan Smith was a really dependable left tackle right up until he really, really wasn't. Again. Okay. Well, there's a couple years where he was pretty dependable. How are we doing on time? I haven't even checked. I think we're doing fine. It doesn't fine. matter today. We don't have the heart out. We don't. It's Patty's Day. Probably giving more Take time as as like. to the NFC than we gave the AFC. Oh, AFC people are going to be mad again. <sighs> Those AFC fans, Mike Ryan Ruiz, yeah. it's going to be pissed. If you're just an NFL fan, though, you probably getting three and a half hours of great content. Rob Lowe's loving it. Yeah, Rob Lowe. Me, big just NFL guy. Roof of the shield. NFC West, keep the energy up. We've got four more teams. Stay strong. Arizona Cardinals. Scroll back up all the way to the top. I mean, the Cardinals are you guys are not... following along in our free agent tracker? You should be. The Cardinals so aren't going to help with the energy. You know, you know what I like the best? Uh, is it the video? How much do you know me? Is it the video where Gannon is going pew pew? It's not that. No, okay. it's not that. Because Re- that's pretty good. It's a it's re-signing. Oh, Kelvin Beecham. Kelvin Beecham. After Kelvin Beecham trashed Kyle Murray and said he needs to grow up. Look, you need some radical candor hmm. in that locker room. Radical candor. If Kyler can't handle a little bit of criticism, how's he going to be the guy? I just, I think that's quite an interesting move. It's like the guy literally on the way out the door is like, the dude needs to grow up. You know, I'm not saying yeah. he's not a good leader. He just needs to mature a bit. And then it's, Who oh, doesn't? hi. <laughs> Who I'm doesn't back. in their 20s? Who doesn't? Yeah. So uh, I like that move. They bring back Will Hernandez, two years, $9 million. He's another one of those, you know, leveled off as an as a average to slightly above average starter at guard that's fine i think those are those are good moves for arizona who had a lot of needs yeah i think overall they've everything they've done is fine it's just where is the you know where's the big things here like kaiser white the linebacker that's a nice move two years yeah 11 million that's nothing i'm in on that i like that move whatever kicker um will hernan i mean these are fine moves all of them Marcus Golden had sort of reached probably the end of his lifespan there, but now you have basically no edge rushers. In fact, no pass rush of any description because um, uh, Zach Allen is gone too and J.J. Watt is retired. So, like, you basically don't have a defensive line. Um, and you've added a linebacker to supplement the two linebackers that you've drafted in the first round, one of whom you've had to basically make into a slot corner at this point in his career. Uh, you're just in a weird place right now, and it feels like you need to make some bigger moves than this. But you don't really have the ability to. So we're just, just here we are. Haven't traded New Hopkins. And um, even if you do, you know, once again, my, my uh, starting point looking at a team, who's throwing the ball, who you throw into, it looks pretty when it's New Hopkins, Marquise Brown, Rondell Moore. Uh, I think Trey McBride's going to be good, you know, as he, as he gets older. It looks nice now. You lose New Hopkins depending on what you get back in return. There's going to probably need some more work to be – there's more work to be done there. And then, yeah, when you look at the defensive front, it's uh, it's in Bears territory, which is bad. Yeah, it really is, is. So, I mean, so – Hashtag more work to be done. Another – I mean, the, the, only, the only potential difference between that and Chicago's defensive line last year, number one, obviously the draft is upcoming, but number two, they drafted two guys last year who could be better this year, Cameron Thomas, Maijai Sanders – if one or both of those guys takes a big step in year two, they're in a different spot. The also, barbarian. that's what I was going I'm to sorry. say. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I stole your, cut that out. I stole your punchline. I stole your punchline. The line. third difference, they have Dennis the Barbarian guard day. Yes, they do. And the Bears yes, didn't have that. Do. My bad, man. I just, we're just on the same wavelength so, that was a so good joke. often. It was a good joke, and we undercut it. My bad. 
I'm intrigued by that group. I liked Cameron Thomas and Jai Sanders coming out. Sure. Not enough to say, hey, let's roll with them as the starters. I want more depth there at edge. But um, they're they're also picking a three, so they might be grabbing Will Anderson, right. add him to the mix. They need some they need some good three hundred pounders. I they're would... actually one of those teams. Every every other team that I criticized, like the Shy Tuttle deals and all that stuff, they actually could have used a couple of those in Arizona, <laughs> to be honest. Um I I really hope they don't put Josh Jones back at left guard now that they have DJ Humphreys back healthy. Like Josh Jones has been bad at every position in the NFL except left tackle, where he played in college, and he looked good at left tackle. If you can't accommodate him at left tackle, trade him away and get something back for him. Don't try and plug him back into a spot where he's been bad again. Yeah, I'm with you. Figure and it yet, out. that's what they might end up doing because the rest of that offensive line is bad. Got to play the best five. Except Kelvin Beecham. Except Beecham. Good re-signing. Los Angeles, Rams. What do we like about what the Rams have done? Hmm. They've I traded Jalen Ramsey. Yep. Released Leonard Floyd. The end. They got Hunter Long they in the trade. Hunter. I like the Hunter Long throw-in they got Hunter in the Jalen Ramsey deal. Released Bobby Wagner. Released um, someone else. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield walks. She's playing the comp pick game here. Yes. Comp pick or other picks. I like that the Rams are uh, hashtag embracing the picks, maybe. Embracing the picks. Oh, they still be... don't have a first, but yeah, embrace those picks. I don't know. I mean, what what are they doing? It's uh, What's the plan? They're in the half rebuild stage as well. The half rebuild stage. Yeah, because I think they're gutting. They're creating some salary flexibility. Yeah, look, I thought our friend Greg Rosenthal said when they when they release Bobby Wagner, they're starting the rebuild. I didn't think that that was the case. I was wrong. Um, because I thought it was like, oh, they're just moving on from Wagner. They still have Ramsey. They still have Donald. Cup's coming back. These other teams in the NFC, it's interesting. Like, these other teams in the NFC are convincing themselves the NFC's trash. Derek Carr is going right. to be good enough to win. The Rams could easily do that and say, Stafford, if we tidy up the line a little bit, and yeah. him and Cup. Just him and Cup as a baseline are putting us in the playoffs, you know? Like, you can easily convince yourself. And Donald, and you can convince yourself of that. But they seem like they're halfway in, halfway out, right? You're trying to trying to gut the roster enough to be able to rebuild it with youth. And um, I just don't know if they have enough youth yet unless they hit on a bunch of their picks. Yeah, and they're not even – I mean, okay, trading away um, Jalen Ramsey is a huge move. But it's not the only move they could have made to – change this roster in a significant way by trading and okay there's again there's still time maybe they do some more things like Allen robinson is the obvious potential guy to just get rid of right at some point but if they don't do that and this is just the sort of extent of the halfway house rebuild thing well now you just took away one of your best players leaving a glaring weakness at one of the most important positions you've got kobe durant at corner who played pretty well but outside of that what do you left with it doesn't feel worth it for a team that okay they were in they were in this world now where they they were getting squeezed a little bit because of the the way they'd approach previous years but it's not like they were screwed and in this nfc you're like we could keep rolling with this let's like the win they, they seem to have convinced themselves that last year was the close of the window right we had our run we won as many games as anybody in the NFC over a five-year period. We got the two Super Bowls. We won one of them. We'll take that. But now it's done. Let's start wrapping it up. It's like, I, don't, I don't know that it was. I mean, sure, you would be maybe like the 10th best team in the NFL on paper. But you might be the third best team in the NFC. 
again, putting you in the position that whoever we talked about before, you get there, you win a couple of games, and then you just got to get lucky against one of the good teams. One of whom, by the way, you've had their number for the majority of that stretch. So let's go. Yeah, it's it's just it's going to be interesting. Wait, no, it's the other way around, right? Isn't it? Shanahan has always beaten McVeigh. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so backwards, sure. but still, you just one game is all you got to shoot for. I know what you're. I know what you're getting at. I understand. So the Rams have four, seven, eleven draft picks. If they do trade Allen Robinson, by the way, maybe uh, the Patriots rant we had yesterday. Maybe Allen Robinson's a buy low. Could, yeah. could get the most out of him type of candidate. It won't feel good until you like see it, but it's yeah. a, it's an option, right? In a landscape of where are all the X receivers, that's definitely a gamble to be considered. And, and the Rams, I think, that's the thing. Like Ramsey, I mean, there were reports that maybe he was just he was just done there or whatever. But Allen Robinson hasn't seemed like a fit just yet, so maybe he's out too. Maybe you get a twelfth draft pick. They, if they have a Seattle type draft, which happens, you know, for one team every five years. If they have one of those draft picks, they're right back in the uh, draft classes. They're right back in the mix. But it, it seems like that's what they're relying on, right? Drafting in volume and finding a whole bunch of starters. And if they do that, there's a there's still a bit of a nucleus there, but you do have to hit on a bunch if you're the Rams. Yeah. And we're only talking about all this stuff because uh, they haven't made actual moves to discuss. Mm. So that's why we're talking about these hypotheticals. Largely because they haven't had cap space to spend, uh, which is part of it. Yeah. But there's another team that could have used – you know, they're in that not even creep back to what average. Let's try and make this offensive line better world. And maybe we don't have to spend a ton of money to make it happen, but let's try and add some bodies to see if there's players that could make obvious obvious upgrades once we start seeing them in camp and practice and whatever. Third wave, you could do that. You could probably get some maybe some third wave free agents for the Rams. But as of now, there's nothing to uh, there's nothing to report on. I mean, they, they must have gone out of their way to get Hunter Long in the trade. Hunter Long, big That's fan. Key key part of their rebuild. I liked him a lot coming out of BC. Give him an opportunity. Just give him a chance. All right, let's go 49ers. Get two more teams. There's a chance we forgot a couple, but I think we've got two more. San Francisco 49ers, what do you like? Javon Hargrave? Yeah. Sam Darnold? I do like the Javon Hargrave. I do the, the Darnold one, yes, for a different reason. But I... I do like the idea that San Francisco, a team we expect to be a contender, one of the best teams in the NFC, they're the team that went out with the big splash and got Hargrave. On his own, basically accounts for the same volume of pressure as like the eight guys they used inside last year, um, is an elite pass rusher to pair with the other elite pass rusher that's already there, Nick Bosa, and some young guys that are capable of stepping up into a bigger role. I just, that defense is going to stay nasty, and that's the kind of impact signing that I think helps that along. And then, to pull it all together, who better to pull together Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, who better than the ultimate locker room glue piece, Cleveland Farrell? Mm. Well, once you've got these good players, you need culture. You know, you need somebody to set the tone, show you how it's supposed to happen, be a professional, and that's your starting point. I'd take Farrell for one year, 2.5 mil. I would take him. Not every year. He might not be an every year guy, but I take him. I take him on my the first team. time. The, the first, first time, time. Yeah, until I get burned. Uh, but it's only two point five million. So Furl comes in to uh, to add some depth. So I, yeah, I like the Hargrave move. It's a lot of money. I don't care if he could play the run. He's rushing the passer, and we're going to wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks in San Francisco. Uh, Kevin Gibbons comes back on the cheap. It's a good mix of a ton of money for Hargrave and not a ton of money for my depth pieces, Kevin Gibbons and Cleveland Furl. So I think that all 
Seems to make sense. Yeah. Ferrell, I mean, it, it's obviously, the, what, the number four overall pick and a colossal reach at the time, so it's it seems like a terrible thing. But he isn't actually a bad player. He's, not. He's just not an impact player. He's He was never the guy he was supposed to be for the Raiders, but in, in contrast to some true draft busts, he hasn't been like an actively terrible player. No, he just he should have gone late first, early second. Right. And even then it would be probably underwhelming production for that but like, draft slot, but he should have gone. There. And a lot of edge rushers in particular that are taken really high. When they bust, they bust bad. Like they just stink. You cannot play at this level. You have no business in this league. Goodbye. Furl isn't that. Like he belongs in the NFL. He belongs getting snaps in the NFL as part of a rotation. He's just not the dude he was supposed to be. And then uh, Tayshawn Gibson coming back for 2.9 million. Like the number of players who are going to play somewhat significant snaps that are under 3 million that the, the Niners were able to bring in yeah. is, is pretty solid. Gibson, they got late in the process last year, bring him in. He had a 69.7 grade last year to play free safety. That's a good, that's a good way to fill your free safety spot. Mm-hmm. Anything you don't like about the 49ers? Uh, no. I don't think there's anything really to hate. There really isn't. I mean, they have nothing that nothing of the moves they have made you can really hate. The only thing that's uncomfortable is probably losing Mike McGlinchey as a starting right tackle. And by the way, a lot of the players that they've lost, Jimmy Ward and McGlinchey, they're going to have a slew of comp picks next year. McGlinchey in particular because the price tag was the right move. The one that I would potentially quibble with is Charles Amenahu, who would become, you know, pretty good player for them. 62 pressures last season like he's gone he's the best pa- he's the best edge rusher on the Chiefs who signed him he if they could have found a way of keeping him there along with Javon Hargrave coming in along with uh, Nick Bosa and the glue police that is Cleveland Furl that would be insane as a defensive line so losing him I mean it, it's not terrible because you've brought in Hargrave but I don't love that move yeah, so I think they're uh, – I mean, overall, the, the only thing I was trying to say about the McGlinchey thing is they have a right tackle spot to fill. I don't think they have maybe the replacement on the roster. Colton McKivitz currently slated in just to be the, the starting right tackle. So got something to do. Got hashtag more work to do. They're the kind of team – they have a ton of draft picks now and a lot of them that are quite high with these uh, compensatory draft picks from losing players but also from having minority coaches hired – uh, minority front office people as well, right? Uh, anyway, they have a, a lot of pretty high draft picks, so maybe there's, it's the kind of team that could draft a pair of tackles in the third round, that kind of thing, and hope that one of them ends up being your starter. I like it. All right, Seattle Seahawks. Let's wrap it up. What do we like and not like about Seattle? The Geno deal. They got That's in the like. Yeah, they got, the, um, they got a middle-class contract. Yeah. That's – it's – we – Everybody has been uh, yearning for this, crying out for this for years. Like, can we just get these guys that are not worth top-of-the-market contracts to some kind of middle-class deal? And it's never happened because the leverage is too strong. But this year, there's actually been a bunch of them. You would be – the show would be so much better if you understood Seinfeld references. Mm. So if I say, I yearn. Do you ever yearn? Yeah, you would get it. We talked about spite quite a bit. There's a lot. This would be a lot better if we could just we connect on a lot of levels here. Yeah. If we could connect on that level, because I I definitely connect with the audience. There's a there's a 
big chunk of the audience that will get my Seinfeld references. And if you're not connecting at that level, I feel like we're missing something here. It'd be great if you could catch up. I mean, if you could just restrict your references to the shows that are funny, that would be better. Oh, man. I don't even want to finish the show. I don't know what to tell you. I've given Seinfeld several several chances. You know, there's a lot of people like you that seem to be convinced that it's great. And I'm like, okay, the, the, a million dumbasses can't be wrong. Let's give this another shot. And I give it a shot, and it still stinks. We're not wrong. I don't know what to tell you. We're not wrong. It's not dry enough for you. It's just not funny enough. Listen, carry on. You like the Geno deal. We've all yearned, <laughs> as you've said, for the middle-class quarterback, and uh -huh. here we have it. Yeah. For the, for the middle-class deal, and that's where Gino should be. Like, as good as last season was, you can't forget what Gino was before that year. You also can't forget what the second half of the season looked like. It, there's enough there to be concerned about or to at least make you question what the baseline is going forward that he probably shouldn't get, you know, a giant 40-plus million dollar a year contract. He deserves the kind of deal where he's got, where he's going to get... $75 million, effectively, off the back of that incredible, unexpected breakout season that he had. And that's great for him. Like, legitimately, congratulations. It's a, it's a sort of feel-good story. The dude came back from nowhere, having had his career kind of peter out, going, ran into a brick wall, and then never went anywhere. Um, he finally became the guy that he was supposed to be when he was drafted and still had enough concerns that the deal landed in the right place. Yeah, I agree with all that stuff. Good stuff. I, I don't know if they're going to go this route at pick number five, but they could play in the QB world if the right guy falls. They could draft somebody. You know, They probably don't want to play that, but they can. You talking to me? No. Okay, good. Um, so, Seinfeld is great. Thank you, Tyler. Um, <clears throat> they could draft the quarterback if they need to. So I think that's uh, they have some flexibility there if needed. Mm-hmm. So I'll agree with that on the good stuff, uh, on the not so good. I'm going to say Draymond Jones was a lot of money. Three years, fifty-one yeah. million dollars, and this wasn't even a sack. This wasn't even like he had ten sacks out of nowhere last year. He's been a consistently good, not great pass rusher. So they bring in Draymond Jones, they uh, release Quentin Jefferson, and they sign Jaron Reed again. Um, Do they also have they gotten rid of? Um, Shelby Harris? Yes, they released Shelby Harris. So effectively, you're swapping out Quentin Jefferson and Shelby Harris for Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed, but with a lot more money attached to it because of Draymond Jones' deal. Yeah. Because of that extra money, I don't know that you can say that's an upgrade. It's a lateral move, maybe, and it costs you more money now. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think Draymond Jones is a good player, but that is rich. So Draymond Jones last year has a 41 run defense grade he was a 50 the year before fine let's just say he's a he's an interior pass rusher that's his specialty even that grade 67 69 78 70 working backwards they're all green they're all good solid grades um, but when you add it up and you look at wins above replacement which uh, it, you know it, I think it does a good job of of identifying value especially on the defensive line the players who are getting paid in that 17 million dollar range are players like Eric Armstead, Kenny Clark, Vita Vea, Grady Jarrett, Cameron Hayward, Jonathan Allen, uh, Zach Allen just made in the 15, you know, 15 APY. Chris Jones is at 20, just 3 million more. Fletcher Cox, whatever, he's getting older. All I'm saying is those players are all better than Draymond Jones. Sure. And they're all more valuable. I mean, you also, and they're better and they're three down players. Yes. And Draymond Jones might only be 
a pure pass rusher. That's the thing. You have to factor in sort of what he is. Like, we are talking about Kalijah Kansi as this next, you know, Aaron Donald, undersized defensive interior guy from Pittsburgh, right? And and Kalijah Kansi just measured in at six foot one, and I think the same 281 pounds that Draymond Jones is. Yep. Draymond Jones is six foot three. So you're going to hear nothing but can, you know, can Kalijah Kansi play at that level at that size in the NFL? Draymond Jones is doing it at that size, but it's coming with the caveat of if he has to play on rundowns, it's going to be a problem. Pass rushing is good. Pass rushing is an excellent thing. It's what he plays more of, but if you're not having him as a strictly situational player, it's a problem. Yeah, so I put that on the don't love it list. Um, all that said, he's an upgrade for Seattle. He is. He is. They have. They have had such a bad pass rush, and I think they're they're paying a premium just to upgrade where they've been these last couple of years. Daryl Taylor, Uchenna and Wosu showed flashes. When you add them all up, they'll have some games where that trio will probably look pretty good rushing the passer. I still think they need more, but uh, and they might be. They could get a Will Anderson or figure out what happens with Jalen Carter. They could add more, but um, it's it's an interesting move for a, for a good pass rusher in Draymond Jones. Mm-hmm. Did we do it? All 32 teams in two days. Nailed it. I think we hit everything. Good job, man. So that's it. That's our week. It's a great week of free agency. We appreciate everybody for uh, for being a part of it, for tuning in. Um, had some great feedback from just every, all of our viewers and listeners that uh, we are having some fun here this week. Free agency wasn't even the best free agent class, but we still had great discussions, and there's more to do. Next week we'll get back into some draft focus and uh, – some more team needs. We'll talk some team needs coming out of free agency. So we'll kind of rehash a lot, a lot of these conversations, reset what uh, what every team needs to be looking at as we head into the draft, which is what six, seven weeks away. Here. Yeah, it's getting there. So next week, you know, free agency is a short little burst, a flurry of activity. It's the first team building, you know, period of uh, the off season. But then it's draft time. So we're getting into mock drafts. We're getting into position rankings, draft. You can watch some film. You gonna be grinding, grinding that film. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. We did QB awesome. rankings. You can find those on the the feed already. We're gonna get other positions. I was gonna ask you something. Yeah. Can't remember what it was. Great. So uh, let's leave it at that. Okay. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you. Oh, what are you gonna do for Saint? What do you do for Saint Patty's Day? Do you have any? What do you do as an Irishman here in America? Anything Nothing. fun? Corned beef, cabbage. No. Boil some potatoes. No. Nothing. No. All right, great. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Happy St. Paddy's Day. See you on Monday.